1: Forma, a new podcast featuring conversations with authors, teachers, creators, and community leaders who are carefully contemplating the nature and practice of classical education, aesthetic wonder, and a Christian community. I'm David Kern. Have you ever had the experience of sitting in a movie theater or on your couch, maybe, and you're watching a movie or a TV show, and you realize suddenly. That whatever you're watching, the movie or the TV show, is speaking to you, almost like it feels like it's speaking to you directly. Or maybe it feels like it's speaking on your behalf, like it's speaking about something that's deep within you that you didn't know how to say, but it's somehow saying it for you. Well, that's what Josh Larson's new book, Movies Are Prayers, How Films Voice Our Deepest Longings, is about. Josh is the co-host of the podcast Film Spotting, as well as the editor and film critic at Think Christian, a faith and culture website. He's been writing and speaking about movies professionally for more than two decades. His career began in the mainstream newspaper business, where he started out as a beat reporter for a weekly community paper and went on to become the film critic for the Chicago-based Sun-Times Media for more than 10 years. Then in 2011, he joined the Christian Media Landscape as editor at Think Christian, and in 2012, he joined the long-running weekly weekly podcast Film Spotting, which at the time aired on WBEZ in Chicago. He is a veteran of Sundance, Toronto, and Chicago International Film Festivals, and has given talks on film and faith at various Christian colleges. He also led the Ebert Interruptus, a tradition established by Roger Ebert that analyzes a single film scene-by-scene over several days at the University of Colorado's Conference on World Affairs. And he lives in Chicago with his wife and his two daughters, and you can read more about his movie reviews at his website, larsononfilm.com, or you can even just look him up on Rotten Tomatoes. But in Movies Are Prayers, Josh claims that movies do more than tell a good story. They're expressions of raw emotion, naked vulnerability, and unbridled rage. They often function in the same way as prayers, communicating our deepest longings and joys to a God who hears each and every one. In this captivating book, Josh brings a critic's unique perspective to how movies function as expressions to God of lament, praise, joy, confession, and more. His clear expertise and passion for the art of film, along with his thoughtful reflections on the nature of prayer, will bring you a better understanding of both. As he writes in the book, Movies are our way of telling God what we think about this world and our place in it. Movies can be many things. Escapist experiences, historical artifacts, business ventures, and artistic expressions, to name a few. I'd like to suggest they also can be prayers. Josh came on the podcast a few weeks ago to talk about his book and talk about this idea that that movies can be prayers, or even that they are prayers. Um, We chatted about all things movies. We we chatted about uh, movies to introduce to your kids and how to watch them and how to teach uh, movie watching. Um, Of course, we just dived into uh, the book as well, the themes in the book. But we started by talking about Josh's early experiences with films, and this is what he had to say.
2: So the idea behind it was really to capture and explore a feeling that I had as I was watching films. So this would have been a couple of years ago, a number of years ago now, where suddenly I realized, you know, this movie is doing something that feels similar to what is happening when I offer up forms of prayer, whether that's in church itself or in my own prayer life. So if I had been lamenting um, as a form of prayer and then that week I would be watching a film that similarly seemed to lament over the world in general, a particular situation, uh, I, I saw those parallels and I just thought, you know, oh, that's that's interesting and maybe looked for it in other areas and looked for it in other Forms of prayer. And once I recognized this happening as confession, as praise, I thought maybe I'll make this a larger project and pursue this and see kind of how far I could take it and be a little bit more deliberate about it. And it just kind of opened up this different approach for how to think about what movies might be. It sort of flips the the Christian engagement dynamic that I had been used to, which is how does God speak to us through movies? Hmm. Uh, And I certainly engage film in that way too, but this flips it a little bit to say, how might we speak to God through the movies, even those movies that aren't particularly the ones where the filmmakers might not say that's what they're trying to do, but because they capture these universal yearnings and expressions and emotions they do happen to function that way especially for those of us who are believers
1: hmm. do you have a do you have any idea when this you started thinking this way about movies or when it struck you I mean I think you, maybe you said a couple of years ago but yeah I think you, a couple of,
2: a couple years ahead. ago is probably when I formalized it I would say you know uh, in this yeah. way I'm talking about and it started to think uh, okay let's categorize maybe movies but Now that I have done that, it strikes me that maybe this is one of the root reasons I've loved films since I was a kid, because Mm. there are times where they spoke for me. And this was happening perhaps at a subconscious level, uh, but maybe they helped me find the words I couldn't in prayer. And again, this isn't an explicit one-to-one comparison. Uh, so I'm not talking necessarily about religious films here or religious themed films, but it, it's more that experience that I was trying to express to God, um, whether it was some sort of expression of obedience or some sort of expression of, of joy even. Mm. And the movies yeah. happened to capture that for me in a way that uh, it was better than the way I could.
1: Mm. So do you, so it seemed to be sort of contextual to what was going on in your life, like like you would discover... The, that a film spoke to you based on the things you were struggling with or the things you were feeling in your own spiritual life?
2: Sure. Yeah. And sometimes it would be, you know, sometimes it would be a prayer that would open up a movie for me. So uh, if we yeah. had engaged in, If we happen to engage that Sunday in some prayers of lament, perhaps the films that I happened to see that week would suddenly start to echo it. Right. And then it would work the other way, too, where, say, the first time I saw Chinatown and realized that one reason this movie is such a lasting, troubling work of art is because it is at heart this moving lament where. We throw our arms up and just say we we can do no more with this, and we leave it to you, God. And mm-hmm. and of course, there are ways that Chinatown is distinct from biblical lament, but there are enough echoes sure. and it has a similar tenor, so that I would say, boy, this movie feels a lot like what I felt when I've prayed in lament.
1: Hmm. So, what was your um, movie? Childhood like? What was your childhood like as far as con- consumption of, of movies and TV? Did you watch a ton of them? Did your family watch them together? Or how did this yeah. sort of, how did the uh, desire to understand films and think about them on this level, like, where that come from?
2: Big movie house. I grew up in uh, a big movie house. We would, you know, a, a lot of times a marker of this, i talked to other people whose families did this too, is we'd go on vacation somewhere to see a particular place. And while we did that, more often than not, we'd also go see a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I remember going to, like, Toronto, and uh, for some reason we saw a Star Trek film, which we easily could have done at home. But it was just (laughs) one of those things that we did as a family together. So
1: um,
2: certainly had discerning parents. You know, there were rules, what I could and couldn't watch, and and they uh, kept an eye on that. But I think maybe what distinguished my experience from – other people I've been able to to talk to and meet, is that the first posture my parents took towards movies wasn't a fearful one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just that alone reoriented what the movies could be. You know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't yeah. something that immediately I had to protect myself from. I, th- I think we approached it from a posture of appreciation and enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Um, And and that was a model for me that was very helpful. Again, not to set aside discernment completely, but it wasn't—we didn't really start from that, uh uh-oh, what might this movie do to us?
1: So— how do you uh, do you, can you recognize any ways that your parents kind of bridge that gap or towed that line between um, being excited about film and being discerning? And I imagine you've had to think about that same line in your own family. You have you have kids, right? You have a couple daughters. Is that right? I do. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, I do. And so, boy, you know, I don't remember any sort of, uh, you know, strategy that my parents laid out in terms yeah, yeah. of um, here's why we do it this way. I also don't remember that we would have any sort of formalized discussion time after a movie, but we would talk about them. You know, that that would just be part of the movie love. Yeah. yeah. Um, But it wasn't like an assignment. Um, You could could certainly, you know, some families might choose to structure their movie experiences that way. And I know some who do, and it can be very fruitful. Um, It's just not necessarily how I grew up. I think maybe I've leaned a little bit more towards that with my own kids, just because uh, film viewing is also a uh, professional activity for me. <laughs> so it kind of <laughs> yeah. gets, you know, as a family, it gets wound up that way too, where, where they might say, why are, why are you watching this? And and that kind of like opens up that door. And mm. then of course, in our own sort of discernment where, where we think, you know, you're this one, you're probably not ready for, or, or we'd rather you didn't watch that, uh, um, yeah. begin some of those conversations too. So so it's tough, you know. It's it's a it's a balancing act, and especially, you know, it's so different. When I was growing up, where I remember the advent of VHS kind of blew <laughs> open my opportunities for watching things I knew my parents might not approve of, yeah. and and now <laughs> of course with streaming services and and YouTube, um, we're dealing with a whole nother terrain in terms of you know that discernment process and modeling that for our kids. They're, they're really yeah. getting things thrown at them, um, you know, a, a lot sooner and a lot more easily than I was as a kid. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I remember being, I don't know, 14 or something. And y- y- it was VHS is and then, you know, flipped over to DVD and stuff. But, um, I remember if we wanted to watch something or if we went to a friend's house it was you could still get what you wanted to watch. Like I remember watching some dumb movie like Robin Hood Men in Tights or something. Like that's a movie I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't recommend people watch that movie, right? But you know thir- it's like made for thirteen to fourteen year old kids, right? So yeah. if we wanted to watch that, my friend could get that and we could watch it. I remember one time a movie like Jerry Maguire or something, which has mm. some adult content in it, but sure. you know, everyone was like, "It's a football movie, let's watch it." So if you want to get it, you can watch it. But ne- my kids are quite young still; they my oldest is six. But I'm already realizing how easy it is for them to get on Amazon Prime to watch yes. like Planet Earth or Netflix to watch Planet Earth or something. But then, the next thing that comes up is even on the kids side of Netflix is something I would don't want them to watch, and oh, trying yeah. to figure out how do how do you explain that to your six year old, you know that this is not something I want you to watch because it's not good for you, um, right. It's a yeah. Challenge. And I
2: wish it is an absolute challenge. I wish I could say that, um, my wife and I had this figured out, but we don't, um, <laughs> in a lot of ways we, we, you know, intend to have a strategy that's partly formed and we start pursuing that. And then the game changes on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like because, because of the, the kids
1: get older or are they, their personalities well, evolve.
2: Well, that one part of it is personality. Um, yeah, I was going to say that it, I think, you know, our, our kids are both very different. So the things yeah. they're interested in and the way they, um, consume media is different. so so you do have to individualize um, your your modeling of discernment but it's also like you know just when you think you've set the ground rules for one format of consuming media, a brand new you know app will arise <laughs> yeah. and that's how they're doing it you know and so so it's yeah you you've, you've got to I don't know it's really hard to stay on top of I, I feel like, maybe this is good, not being able to keep up with everything makes you focus instead on the kids themselves and forming Mm -hmm. them as people who can make those decisions on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I just think the ability for parents to monitor um, is becoming less and less realistic yeah. And, you know, maybe that was never a healthy way to do it either. You know, having our, our hands and everything at some point, they have to make these decisions for themselves. Right. So it's maybe putting the onus on us to prepare them to be those sorts of young people um, rather than doing it ourselves for them.
1: It does seem like that's kind of a more positive stance to be in where you're thinking, how can I uh, cultivate the humanness in my kids, rather than being afraid of what's out there, because as soon as you're not afraid of one thing, as you said, that something else comes along that just compounds your previous fears, like an app yeah. or some new way of, that they can consume it, or some new For friend sure. that can come along that have a, and be a bad influence. Yep,
2: and you know, I think I'm going to make the argument too, which which does tie a little bit to what I'm trying to do in the book, which is is foster this sort of appreciation. I think that if you foster in your kids appreciation for good art, that will lead them to stuff that um, may be challenging. Um, It may make them uncomfortable, but is not the sort of, you know, really heinous, dispiriting, damaging stuff that could Mm. be out there. So so in other words, you know, and part of this comes down to taste, you know, my really good challenging film might be something another parent finds that they don't want their kid to watch. But Mm -hmm. but I also think that if you encourage them to recognize and appreciate good art, um, you know, that's going to be the sort of stuff that you want in their lives anyway uh, maybe I'm being a little too optimistic about that. Um, but, but I hope that if you encourage them to seek that sort of stuff out, then they won't be drawn to some of that more, um, you know, the, the trashier soulless stuff. Um, that would be something you don't want them to watch.
1: Hmm. Um, I really enjoyed your book. Um, I'm, I'm confession. I'm about three quarters of the way through. Uh, <laughs> thank you. But, um, one of the things I, I, I've i enjoyed about it is a lot of books about Christian film or, or, or Christian books about film, rather, I guess is the better way to put it, are trying to look at, you know, or maybe not the books so much as a lot of the websites that are out there and stuff. The things that Christian parents often rely on, I'll put it that way, are so much about the checklist, right? They're like, the, these are the plus things in the plus column and then minus things in the minus column, and if there's more minus things than plus things... Then we're gonna not watch it, or if there's there's one or two things that we really care about the most, like is there mm-hmm. sexual content or is there the f word in it, you know? Like, and I'm not yeah. I'm not suggesting that parents shouldn't care about those things by any means. Um, so, but one of the things I like about the book is the way you're helping us think about movies in a sort of a fresh way even through a Christian worldview or a Christian lens, so to speak. So for example, you you mentioned Chinatown. Chinatown is not a movie that you're going to see on most Christian film review websites, barring a few. And people are going to say, this is is how it can speak to a Christian in it. Do you get feedback from people on this book where they're saying, how can you see um, Christian content or how can you see God through depravity? Um, is yeah, that, that pushback yeah. you get a lot? Cause you know, like for example, uh, um, I know Brett McCracken and Alyssa Wilkinson a little bit and they both worked at Christianity today and they would get that, you know, like why, like mm-hmm. Alyssa Wilkinson's famous uh, essay she wrote on why we, why, why we review rated R movies. That's a hard sentence to say why we review rated R <laughs> movies. Um, you know, so you can see that that, that seems to be a common thread of conversation among Christians. Have you experienced that as well? And has it been um, aggressive at all?
2: I know I wouldn't say it's aggressive but it's it's certainly out there that is one mode of engagement that um you know still exists in terms of a Christian attitude towards film I think Alyssa's essay was very helpful in breaking that down I reference it in the introduction to my book yeah. because I sort of anticipated that this question would come and wanted to just put it out there that you know I'm going to be talking about R-rated films in this book um and and I think you know she does an excellent job of of essentially saying yes those are things to be mindful of but we also need to recognize that sometimes the virtuous is right alongside uh things that we would find troubling in a film Mm -hmm. Um, and i sort i extend that a bit in the book to this concept of prayers you know if i'm if i'm making the argument that movies are prayers well then i'm also going to say that movies aren't perfect we know this some movies that we love may have elements that trouble us but i don't know that i pray perfectly um, mm-hmm. and i also know that i pray for the wrong things often i use the wrong words i pray in anger what i shouldn't be there's a whole chapter devoted to movies as prayers of anger mm-hmm. um, because our prayers as well intended as they might be they're coming from broken sinful beings and I think that we can regard films as doing the same. So hmm. there may be parts of films that we would say are broken. Um, and yet there may be other elements of those films that are revealing to us or resonate with us as Christians. Um, and that's that's a little separate even from the content issue. You mm-hmm. could also say that in terms of content, you um, You know, one question that Christians, some Christians don't pause to ask is, well, why is this difficult content in there? Um, Is this something that the film is endorsing, or is it something that it's just depicting? Because it's letting us in on a certain world, um, or letting us in on a, a certain character's perspective. And it's important to take the time and make those distinctions. Um, this isn't to say that, you know, there aren't some films with elements that you might not want to watch. And here's where personal discernment comes into play. You know, discernment is a very personal thing. And, and I would agree with you. I mean, think those services, especially as a parent, I use some of those because I know that, you know, one of my kids might not be ready for content that the other one is. So I want to see what is this movie going to have? And I guess adults might think similarly, you know, there are things that some adults, um, because of their life experiences, because of their um, difficulties in their faith walk, do not want to encounter in a film. So that's mm-hmm. the, that's a sort of positive discernment, I think, where we're being careful. Um, but it's just a broad checklist that is applied to all Christians. Uh, that's where I think those sorts of approaches aren't very helpful.
1: So, do you would you argue then that that in general, Christians or the Christian community at large tends to be too concerned with the content? of a film or maybe art in general as opposed to the ideas in in a you film You know I think
2: I think that's I mean I can't say having not seen polls or anything like that I'm only speaking mm-hmm. yeah, from my own yeah, experience yeah. and and I think that perspective is shifting but I also say that knowing that I engage mostly with um Christians who come from an appreciation of art. So it might just be who I'm talking to. In doing interviews and talking to radio stations for the book, I've encountered more of those who are really concerned with content. Um, so people who maybe are out, Christians who are outside of my immediate circle. So, um, so it's hard for me to say for sure, but I do get this sense that we have expanded our engagement with film. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I grew up during the culture wars, so late '80s and the '90s. Um, I was in the college and <laughs> I was in college in the '90s. So this was kind of the height of the anti-Hollywood culture wars. Yeah. Um, and then I saw a shift in the years after that, where uh, we kind of, you know, people seem to agree, okay, movies are are worth engaging more seriously as Christians and here's why. And we spent a long time making those arguments, which are good arguments and still need to be made. I feel like more recently, we've started to do that work of engagement where we kind of accept that argument that movies are worth engaging with and now we're digging into them as pieces of art. We're spending more time on form and aesthetics as Christian mm-hmm. critics. I right. think this is what you know someone like Alyssa has spent a lot of time doing as a critic. Um, And so that kind of has, that's advanced things in a new, even more exciting direction. So in a way it stages, although we certainly have Christians who are, um, you know, still in each phase and and don't want to move from one to the other. Um, But maybe the conversation has just broadened. Maybe that's the way to describe it.
1: Hmm. You know, it's funny that you mentioned being in college in what you said, the early 90s, mid 90s.
2: Uh, mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was in college in the early 2000s. So, um, but I remember I went to a Bible college for a while. Um, and I came from a family that was pretty, you know, we watched movies together and we were, we talked about them and there wasn't, there wasn't a fear to them. My parents were careful, but not fearful. (laughs) Um, and maybe that came from being, you know, literature teachers and things like that, that kind of, they just enjoyed that sort of thing. Um, But I remember going to college and when I got to college and I started like there was something about when I was younger, obviously, I didn't think about like um, the aesthetics, the the way the spiritual life and aesthetics can be tied together. And I remember Mm -hmm. going to college and that was where I first started thinking about those ideas. And then I'm studying film in school and I'm studying it with secular people. But because of my faith background, my family and the church that I was going to and things like that, I began to see. I began to, like, somehow, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or what, but you, you start to recognize the way, the form of a story, the aesthetics of it are spiritual. Um, and how art can speak to our faith in a way that even... How do you... I think maybe you quote Christian Wyman in the book, that, like, it can speak to our faith in a way that even theology can't. Is that... Was that the quote? Mm, something, yeah. Something? Yeah, early, yeah. I think it's early They'll in the discuss book. Don't that. Right. Can yeah, you, yeah, and well, go ahead, go ahead.
2: No, well, go ahead with what you're going to ask.
1: Well, do you think that is is what you're saying? Then that that as a Christian community at large, like Amer- American Christianity, we'll just say that we're kind of beginning to shift the way we think about it in the way that someone might as they were getting older. Like, are you arguing that there's more like a more mature approach to 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 art in general, um, developing within the Christian church, or is that too bold of a way of putting it?
2: I mean, I, I would love to be able to say that for sure. I think that's a bit what I've been experiencing in some of the film circles, the Christian film circles, that there is a, a deeper engagement with art as art itself. And, and this is something, you know, that the church has a rich tradition of. So if you look yeah, over yeah. the history of the church, you know, I, I think to be fearful of art is is almost an anomaly. So so it would be wonderful if there is a return to that. And, you know, I think I think all that, really involves is paying attention um, to the art.
1: Can I ask you a follow-up real quick about that? Yeah, go ahead. So the church, as you said, has always been involved in art making and art appreciating, from cathedrals to painters and and literature and so forth. What about the the 20th century in particular, and in America in particular, do you think led Christians to be so fearful of art? Um, And is it just say music and film in particular, is there something about those two mediums in particular that lend themselves to Christians being afraid of them as opposed to painting or whatever? Um, I, don't yeah, know if that question, I don't know if that question makes sense.
2: It makes sense. It's a great question. It's one I feel unqualified to answer, <laughs> not being a, a historian. So let me take a, an instinctual stab at it. And you, you identified music and film. Um, and located it in in those two things and, you know, ask the question, is there something specific about those forms? I wonder if there might be. Um, They're both youthful forms, uh, not only in that they're new forms of art. um, And I'm thinking here of, like, rock music. Um, You know, there there seems to be a tie in there. And also, you know, films, especially when you get to, like, the 60s and when the new Hollywood arrived in the 70s was very much – an art form of the young. Yeah. Um, but you know, there were concerns with movies right at the beginning. That's where the, there yeah. were censorship boards and, and such things. So yeah. I think there's something, um, there was just something newness and something about the tactile nature of art or the tactile nature of film, the way there's an immediacy to it that maybe, um, caused Christians to jump back and say, Whoa, 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 this is, this is, touching us a little too deeply, a little too closely, maybe? I don't know. I'm just wondering here. um, And certainly you have, you know, with rock music, that was a a cultural um, shift in general, even outside of religious circles, you know, just a sort of a blast towards conservatism in general. Um, And then the Christian circles are maybe a segment of that, why there was this sort of response. What You know, how are we going to, what are we going to do with these new art forms that, Let's be honest, a, a significant component of both is um, the, the harnessing of sexuality, right? Right, right, um, yeah. so, so right there, you're, you're going to make Christians nervous, so that's got to be a
1: part of it, too. Right, and rightly so. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so maybe it's the counterculture nature of these new art forms that led to this response, whereas the historical art forms were ones that came pre-approved by the church,
1: Well, this is a whole other conversation, but it, that makes me think, well, in America, the you know, the separation of church and state probably plays into that a little bit as well, because <laughs> the power of the church to would have had, they would have had the power to control the messages that was coming across in art in Europe, say, and um, mm, yes. centuries yeah. before. I haven't, I have this is the first time I've ever thought about that. So that's something I'd have to, you know, we have to get a historian, I guess. <laughs> to right, join yeah, us. that's exactly Um, well, let's talk a little bit more specifically about the book. Um, you, you mentioned there are nine forms of, it's nine, right? Yeah. Nine forms of prayer. Um, nine movie prayers. I don't know exactly how you put it. I should have looked up the exact sentence, I suppose. Nine different expressions of prayer you say in chapter one. Um, can you quickly take us through, uh, through them, uh, and maybe give us sampling of, you know, one movie or how that does it for a couple of them. You don't have to take us through all nine, but maybe give yeah. give the list of the nine and then a couple examples so people can, because I know the first people have been listening and they're like, okay, define prayer, man. Right. Yes. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. And I have, um, I have, you know, two definitions of it. I have the very broad one, which allows for this entire project, which is, Uh, Any human expression that asks, uh, what is this place and why am I here? You know, Mm -hmm. those are the prayers that even an atheist offers. And I call them prayers because it's my belief that God's hearing those. Um, So if God's listening, it's a prayer to me. Then I do burrow down, though, however, to specific forms of prayer within the Christian tradition uh, and, and really look at how those are defined in the Bible throughout Scripture and also as part of tradition and then work backwards from there, and say here are some movies that model those. So, um, so I begin with uh, prayers of praise, and spend a fair amount of time on movies there that recognize uh, the beauty of nature, uh, from John Ford's How Green Was My Valley, a classic, to a recent blockbuster like Avatar. Um, another chapter is on movies as prayers of yearning, and here's where I make room for that universal form of prayer. You know that that sense of just uh, I'm calling out to someone or something, even if I don't quite know who that is yet. So I talk about a lot of science fiction films in that chapter. Um, I think they just inherently do that, whether it's Close Encounters of the Third Kind or, or 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, let's see, I'll run through just a few more here, but uh, mentioned movies as Prayers of Lament. So yes, got Chinatown in there. Also The Dark Knight, a couple of uh, superhero movies I mentioned confession was a great chapter for hitchcock uh mm. if anyone is a, a hitchcock fan i think a lot of him his films work as uh they function as prayers of confession because they're all about making the audience feel guilty too right when you think about it right yeah. um we're kind of pulled in with the the criminals or whoever it might be in history kind of the
1: whole point over your window in some ways
2: oh yeah which is which is probably my favorite hitchcock and, and might be my favorite movie of all time as a matter of fact so oh, really? wow. i also throw toy story into that chapter too i think the the first toy story is a great prayer of confession on behalf of uh, buzz lightyear
1: i was actually watching uh well i it was in the middle of watching north by northwest when i read that chapter oh you're kidding <laughs> so me you're talking about uh hitchcock and i was i just paused that movie for a break to read for a while <laughs> nice nice yeah, yeah.
2: So, yeah, I, um, you know, I go on and kind of, and I tried to form the book along this trajectory of, um, you know, creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration, the God story. And that's why I begin with praise, you know, in creation. And then I end with uh, the new creation, with restoration, and looked at movies as uh, prayers of joy. You know, this this anticipation we have of the new creation and then the, the true joy we'll feel. And I begin that chapter with the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers uh, movie, Top Hat. And this kind of brings us back Mm -hmm. to our conversation of paying attention to aesthetics and form. One of the things I'm talking about when it comes to movies is costume design. So if you watch these films, and my family and I went through a Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers marathon at home, so we watched them all. (laughs) You you can't get past these amazing dresses that Ginger Rogers has, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in Top Hat, there's a wonderful moment in this uh, dance sequence where she has this, this dress has these feathers or like frills on them. And it isn't until it's like a cocktail party scene. It isn't until they dance and she starts spinning where you see that, Oh, that's why all that stuff is there because the way they lift in the air and move along with her. And so I included that in in the chapter of movies as prayers of joy, because it's this sense of anticipation, right? That dress has become what it was created to be. Uh, And that's something that we're all longing for. And when you, these movies I find exhilarating, these predecessor, Ginger Roger movies. So when you experience that exhilaration in a movie, for me, it's mirroring that sort of exhilaration that, that we do anticipate. So just one example of how I I do try to bring the details, the aesthetics and the form of the film into what I'm talking about.
1: So, okay. So um, obviously that's one of the ways you can teach, your children to be discerning is to teach them what to look for. Just like when you teach literature, you're teaching them the questions to ask essentially. Right. Um, Right. So what are some things that you have found valuable, um, either in your own movie watching experience or in trying to cultivate that in your kids that has been uh been valuable or worthwhile. Are there other questions to ask or specific things that you found to look for? You mentioned costume design and obviously teaching things like cinematography and like why does someone choose to do the shot that they do? Um those things are valuable, but is there anything else that, you know, that uh Yeah, you know, the only thing useful? that comes
2: to mind is like The only thing that comes to mind is stardom young, because um, this sort of suspicion, and I don't mean like suspicion in terms of fearfulness, but suspicion in terms of, I'm not going to like that, that creeps in pretty quickly in a kid, right? They start to form their tastes. And before you know it, black and white is off limits that, you know, they're just not going to watch something um, that's not in in color. But if you start them young... Yeah. If you, if you start them young though, it makes no difference. Yeah. So, um, and this is something really like, again, it's a professional thing I stumbled across where I would be watching, you know, for, for a, a job reason, I'd be watching like a Charlie Chaplin short. And, um, one of the kids when they were younger would stumble in and, and they'd sit down and they'd watch it. And and they'd like it, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's one thing I would say is like, you got to grab them before they start to put their guard up. And and then hopefully the guard is still going to come up, you know, they're still going to start forming their tastes and be like, yeah, that's weird, dad. I'm not, it. but (laughs) you'll still have a better chance if you do start. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you find that it's a challenge to get them to kind of, um, speak the language of cinema, so to speak?
2: No, or I think you... kids get it. I think kids really get it early on. Um, stuff like color, I, in a way, I ex- and it's different from kid to kid, too. You know, my, sure. my one daughter is much more attuned to some of these things than the other one. Um, but when you think about it, I think the the basic elements of cinema, like movement, color, light, like these are all things babies are attuned to, you know? Hmm. And, and so, uh, it's almost, I remember being, and I can't think of an example right now, but shocked at what my kids were picking up on formally when they were young, not because I pointed it out, but just because they're receptive to those sorts of things. You know, they're, they're not yet obsessed and this kicks in pretty quickly too, but they're not yet obsessed with narrative. Um, I think, you know, once they start exploring reading on their own, that becomes the prominent, Thing to pay attention to. But before you get to that point, they're more attuned to, um, uh, to composition hmm. and, and color and movement and, and those sorts of things.
1: Yeah. I guess it's like learning any, any language, right. Or any art form, the earlier you start, the, the easier it is to, to be a master, the, the sooner you become a master at it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So a couple more questions for you. When sure. you were, when you were doing the research for the book, was there a, was there a movie that surprised you? that at its prayerfulness that maybe you did not expect based on previous experiences with it?
2: Yeah, there was one that I thought I had pigeonholed. As a matter of fact, like before I even took this on as a book project, I was like, oh, do the right thing is a prayer of anger all the way. And and it certainly functions that <laughs> way. When I sat down to watch it again uh, for the book, it, it has A lot of anger, obviously, in it and righteous anger and is a powerful movie uh, in that way. I could have included it in that chapter, but I almost forgot how that movie ends. And I guess 1989, we can probably spoil it. But, you know, this is after (laughs) the I think we're safe. So this is after all the violence at the pizzeria. Um, and after one of the, um, the neighborhood residents has been killed by police, after all the awfulness uh, that we associate with that film, the next morning there's a scene um, with Spike Lee, director, but also he, he plays uh, Mookie, uh, the guy who delivers pizzas for Sal, played by Danny Aiello, whose shop has been burned down because of Mookie's action, throwing the garbage can through the window and there's this really tender and tentative i want to emphasize tentative it's not like they hug and you know they're going to become best friends mm-hmm. but hint of reconciliation and it's just it shocked me to remember that the movie ended that way because of all the consternation that surrounded that film how it was going to be this you know dangerous movie for america that it actually ends on this hopeful note of reconciliation uh, was so so moving to me that I ended up including it in that chapter. I, I anchored the chapter of movies as prayers of reconciliation on Do the Right Thing, which I never would have expected.
1: Hmm. Well, what about the other way then? Was there a movie that you thought, oh, man, this is definitely going to make the book, it, and it spoke to you in some way in the past, but then now you're like, eh, I don't, I don't think I can include that?
2: You know, that did happen. Uh, not it's not coming to mind because I kind of just tossed those aside. But, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. Like that, that certainly did happen where, you know, your memory of a film worked some way. And, and honestly, like I spend most of the book concentrating on specific scenes in these films. Um, it isn't always the case where an entire movie encapsulates a form of prayer. I think we've mentioned yeah, Chinatown yeah. a couple of times. I think that's a case where it does. That's a movie that's just, you know, crying out the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I write about the the soundtrack, as a matter of fact, the opening soundtrack and how mournful and lamenting that is. Mm-hmm. But but most cases, it's a moment in a movie that mm-hmm. captures a form of prayer, and so uh, I concentrate on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Rear Window might be your your favorite movie. Is there a movie? This I guess we'll call this the final question, just for time's sake. Is there a movie that 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 you think is particularly useful to or or ideal for uh watching with your family or with your community to then talk about it and to engage with it and to teach to cultivate the ability to engage with with movies properly
2: yeah i think it depends on what level of film fan you're talking about like if this is something that this whole idea is new is is how how can we look for you know uh, Christian resonance in in mainstream films, then I would probably go with something like Toy Story because it's a movie that people are probably already familiar with. They know it as they know it. And so now they maybe have the space to experience it in a different way. Um, and it's also, you know, extremely approachable. So I do write about that as a prayer of confession. And um, I, I think that might be a, a really good sort of way to dip your toe in these waters um, mm-hmm. If you're already engaged with film and like to think about it theologically, then then you go right to Terrence Malick. And I, I think <laughs> probably most people at this level already have, but his masterpiece for me is The Tree of Life from 2011, I want to mm-hmm. say. Just a, a deeply, deeply Christian film in, um, in image and emotion, although there are tons of ideas there as well. And I almost, I almost didn't include it in the book because it's too Christian and I wanted to kind of avoid those, but just, uh, had to give it a mention. So, hmm. <laughs> so I do yeah. talk about the tree of life in, um, in, uh, the first chapter as a movie of prayer of praise. So, so yeah, I mean, those are kind of two different films on different ends of the spectrum of where, where someone might be able to, to, uh, experience a movie in this way.
1: Yeah. One thing I think is is cool is. um, Thinking about film in this way, great movies, like great books, you know, open themselves up especially to multiple viewings. And it's a absolutely this is, a, this is like a it was a cool new way for me to think about movies as an art form. you know you know I, in a, I've thought about them, you know, from a Christian perspective for a long time, but thinking about them as prayers in particular or the ways that they can be prayerful was really cool. I was re-watching um Billy Wilder's movie The Apartment, which is one of my favorite movies. Mm. Um, yeah,
2: fantastic
1: and i was i kept thinking about how you know it's one of those movies where it generally skirts the line of you know what's going on in the movie i mean it's not explicit nothing's really shown but you know that this guy's apartment is being used for you know bad things um right right but but part of the part of the reason it's used that he lets people use it for that reason is you know these there's these deep longings within him and um, it's a, it seems like on the one hand it's a movie of confession and it's also you know a movie of reconciliation at the same time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I, I couldn't help but think about it that way. And I think it's just a it's going to be exciting for people as they read the book. I think to encounter movies they already like or already love and see and think about them in new ways. Um, I think that's a it's a really valuable thing you've you've offered uh, through the book.
2: Well, thanks. Yeah, I hope so. And and you know I'm glad you describe it that way too because. Uh, you're right like movies are are so open to so many interpretations that this is just one angle like this isn't i'm not positing this as the christian way to read film <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah but it is it is perhaps one avenue um that that you might find uh, might find rewarding so i'm glad you mm-hmm. did thanks
1: yeah absolutely well thanks for joining me on the show today
2: yeah you got it take care david